there. Welcome to Bible Discovery's weekend show, where we discuss big questions brought up by reading through the Bible and brought up by you. I'm Corey. And I'm Matt Lawson. And we're also reading through the Bible this year. So if you haven't been joining us with Bible Discovery's reading program, we're only on week two. So there's plenty of time to catch up. So head over to BibleDiscoveryTV.com if you want to find out more info. And also check out our 10-minute weekly recaps of each week's reading over on our YouTube channel. That's right. And today we are covering Genesis uh, 26 to 47 which is Isaac and his two sons, Jacob and Esau, and then their children. Yeah. And how that follows with Joseph and everything like that as we get into Egypt. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's right. So we also like to have one kind of big overarching question that we ask uh, of the portion of scripture that we're looking at. So this week's big overarching question is, how are we supposed to make sense of any of this, of these stories? How are we supposed to make sense of this very ancient culture that we see represented here in Genesis 26 to 47? So to begin even to, to answer this question, uh, to begin to understand these stories that we see, we do have to understand that we're looking at an ancient Middle Eastern culture or Near Eastern culture, um, and that it was fundamentally different than our culture today here in the West, right? So. Uh, you know, when when we talk about who has the responsibility in our society to uphold the law, to make sure things run smoothly, to try to help the poor, ultimately we have given official responsibility to our governments, right? We vote our governments in, we endow them with, with responsibility, we pay them taxes so that they have the resources in order to help take care of us as a society. That's just the way our Western societies are organized. But in the ancient Near East, it was a patriarchal society. Uh, and it was tribal as well. So uh, what this means is that the, the social responsibility for uh, maintaining law and order, for making sure that people were fed and clothed, that responsibility fell on the oldest member of a oldest male member of a family unit. So the patriarch, the father. Uh, and this really helps us understand uh, and, and kind of order what's going on in Genesis 26 to 47. So one example that we see right away is this issue uh, with Jacob and Esau, uh, the, the twin boys of Isaac and Rebekah. So as the firstborn son uh, Esau was, he would have been trained and expected to take over uh, from Isaac. When Isaac died as the patriarch, he would have handed everything over to Esau, which is why the firstborn son received a double inheritance. It wasn't some sort of emotional favor, but it was very practical giving the firstborn more family resources because he was expected to take care of the family and to be able to, you know, get them out of legal trouble, make covenants, all these sorts of things to provide and protect. So Esau here, when Jacob so easily is able to purchase Esau's inheritance, this would have been very shameful. It wasn't something that was supposed to happen, but Esau did not care. He did not want to be the heir. He did not want to be the next patriarch. He didn't want to inherit from Isaac this double portion. And so he sold it to Jacob. So that helps us understand that tension that's going on there. And then even later in the blessing where Jacob, um, where Jacob has to trick Isaac, 
into giving him this blessing of the firstborn, he probably saw it as his already because he had purchased it from Esau. It's entirely possible that Isaac did not want this to happen and that he was still going to give this blessing to Esau, uh, even though it had been purchased by Jacob. And so Jacob and Rebekah kind of come up with this ploy so that Jacob can also not only receive the inheritance, but receive the, the verbal blessing of Isaac as well. So it really helps understanding the structure of their ancient society does help us here uh, with Jacob and Esau. It also helps us understand uh, Jacob's sons and the disdain that they have for their brother Esau, because in, covered in our reading today, we see how Jacob, even though he has many sons, he chooses a younger son to honor and to begin to train as this next in line, as the firstborn, even though he is not even close to the firstborn. He chooses Joseph. He gives Joseph a special coat representing his authority within the family. And that obviously ruffles the feathers of his other brothers because that's not the way that it should happen in mm. their minds. Because in their minds, the it goes to the firstborn. It, it right. should have gone to Reuben. Right. Reuben was the firstborn of Leah and Jacob. But uh, it, it didn't go that way. So right. when, when Jacob begins to honor Joseph, uh, everyone gets angry. And that really pushes the their family history forward, puts it in a, in a totally different path than it wouldn't have before. So yeah, I mean, it applies to more sections, but let's, I want to get to a viewer question yeah. before, sure. before we kind of so, discuss how it touches the other chapters. So I have one for you then. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So Sue Barnaby. Mm -hmm. All right. Here is something, I think she's on YouTube. Just so knows. Yeah. This was a question from YouTube. Right. So yeah. here is something I struggle with from Genesis 32. Okay. Jacob wrestled with an angel. Is it a physical altercation? I can't imagine any angel could not win that matchup. Is it a back and forth argument? And why does Jacob end up with a physical ailment from it? Yes. Verse 26, the man or angel says, let me go. This is perplexing to me. He has to get permission to leave Jacob. And Jacob says, no, you can't go yet. Thanks in advance. Right, Sue. Yes, All this right. is weird. Yeah. <laughs> this is a very weird thing. But I find Genesis, th okay, so the, the altercation with this this man yeah. happens in the last half of Genesis 32. The first half is still weird. It's still weird. I, the, the Bible is my favorite. The Bible just casually drops that Jacob met with angels of God in verse 1 of 32. Yeah. Did you see that? Jacob also went on his way and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is the camp of God. So he named that place Ma um, Mahanaim, which I know I'm probably not <laughs> pronouncing right, but just casually drops yeah. though. We're meeting with some angels of God today. Like, that would be a highlight of right. my story, I don't think. Just a, just a casual mention. But okay, yes, Sue, this this is weird. Um, it it was a physical alterca altercation. Her first question is: Is it a physical altercation? Yes. I can't imagine any angel could not win. Is it a back and forth argument? It does not seem to be an argument. It seems to be a physical wrestling match, uh, <laughs> and um, you know it it sets it up mysteriously. So you're supposed to be wondering about the identity of the man. But we know from the end of the story, uh, Jacob says, you know, um, I've seen, he names the place face of God because he's seen God face to face. So he believes that he is wrestling with God, an incarnation of God. Um, now, uh, this physical altercation is clearly organized by God to help Jacob and to 
to to bring about a character change and and, and a fundamental shift in his mindset. Um, And what I mean by that is we know, so this altercation results in Jacob being renamed into Israel. And we know that that this is supposed to be about his name not only because his name gets changed, but also because in in the Hebrew it gets set up like this. So the he's camping by the Jabok River, and the word for Jabok sounds like Jacob's name. And then we have Jacob's name, and then we have the word wrestle, which the word that's used sound also sounds like Jacob's name. So there's this play on words here: Jacob, 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 wrestle, wrestle, wrestle. Uh, struggle, 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 right? So we know it's it's about this this name change for Jacob, um, and then right. Yeah, she's she also wonders like. That's why I'm, I'm going yeah. back to look at her questions. Yeah. So I, How big of a battle was this? Like she right. she can't even imagine that the angel would give like not put up a fight. Okay, so it's the angel wasn't overpowered. This is orchestrated for Jacob. So we we know that God was not overpowered. The angel of God, whatever you want to call this, the man, was not overpowered because he touches Jacob's hip socket when he's done. When he's done with all this, he just touches or or hits Jacob's hip socket and it goes out of uh, joint. It gets disjointed. So the the intimation is that he could have gotten out any time that he wanted right. to, but he allowed Jacob to struggle with him for a specific reason. Um, and also when the man says, let me go, he's not asking, please let me go. He's commanding, let me go. And Jacob's like, no, I won't. You have to bless me. See, because by this point, the sun is about to rise, we're told. The sun's about to rise. So the man wants to go. He wants there to be some mystery about his identity. He doesn't want to be fully seen by Jacob. Um, but Jacob at this point knows that it's God and he wants a blessing. Um, and um, I think what's what's really interesting about this is that up until this point in the narrative, Jacob has struggled. He has lived up to his name. He struggled against Esau to get the inheritance. He struggled against his father to get the blessing. Then he ran away because his brother had a murderous a murder plot against him. Then Jacob struggled against Laban. First for his wives, he just wanted to marry Rachel, but he struggled for his wives. Then he struggled for his livelihood to be able to build up a flock. Then he struggled to leave Laban. And now he's coming back into the promised land to face the consequences of his earlier actions. He knows he has to face Esau, who at one point wanted to murder him. Yeah. So he's about ready to go back into Canaan, to go back into this promised land. And he has purchased the inheritance that was given to Abraham. He's purchased it. He wasn't born into it. He's purchased it from Esau. So is he a legitimate heir of Abraham? Is God going to honor this covenant that he had with Abraham with Jacob or not? And so God allows Jacob to physically wrestle with him, which I think is so interesting. Right. And then he changes his name uh, to the name Israel literally means God fights or God struggles or God right. wrestles. So instead of it being Jacob, which is heel grabber, which is wrestling with a negative connotation, <coughs> instead of it being Jacob fighting everyone, Jacob wrestling everyone, 
now it's God who's going to be fighting Jacob's battles. There has to be this, so there has to be this character change in Jacob now where he is now walking into Abraham's covenant. Right. And I think to add some interesting part of the narrative, Jacob's name literally means heel grabber. Yes. And it actually has a negative connotation it, to it. It totally does. And what you like have usurper, here. Like usurper. Right. Struggler that's out of order. That's right. And that's what he does with Esau, essentially. Right? He takes Esau's And Laban birthright. and Isaac. That's right. So what's interesting here, too, is that he's grabbing uh, the man, essentially. Yes. And so you have this grabbing process where he's called the heel grabber. He's grabbing. No, don't let me go before you get a blessing. And to add to your point about this it being a character change moment, in Genesis 48... Uh, it says, Jacob says this, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys and in them let my name be carried on. And the name of my father is Abraham and Isaac. And let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. So it's about inheritance. It's about yes. the, being a part of the, uh, the being the firstborn, essentially, the, the, the heir. And in that, we have this redemption of all evil. The angel redeems. So you have this, he knows that it's God. Only God can redeem your sins and stuff like that. That's very, that's been very plain uh, throughout the whole text. So you have here that this angel, he, he sees as God, redeems him, right? Gives him a physical ailment, uh, hip, right there. But it's part of this whole redemption of his character process. Yes. And, and so that was part of Sue's question too. Why does he have a physical ailment, like a permanent physical ailment yes. from this? He always walked with a limp. And I think it's twofold. I mean, one, he's never going to forget. Right. Because it's changed the way that he walks forever. His, right. his, his day forever is changed uh, because of this. But I think also when you think about it, um, Jacob had been using his own strength to fight and to struggle to be the inheritor of Abraham's covenant. Uh, and now his physical strength is severely limited. Uh, but God changes his name to God fights or God struggles. Right. So now it's not going to be his own physical strength. It's going to be God's strength that fights his and battles. And it's also proof that he wrestled with God and prevailed is the idea. Yeah. That's so what it says in the Genesis. always remember yeah. it's proof that it actually happened. That's right. And it's very apt. That's right. And it's a proof of his character change too. Yes. Right. So yeah, all that stuff. So I think that that's uh, sufficient I think, yeah. to, to answer the question. Although it's pretty, it's, there's a bunch there, but yeah. I know there's so much, but I hope that helps, Sue. Okay, so we have another viewer question right. um, from Paula. Right, okay. So Paula asks, uh, well, she says, there seems to be a contradiction between Genesis 32 verse 30 and John 1 verse 18 in regards to seeing the face of God and being able to live. Can you explain? Okay, so, so do you want me to read those verses? Or uh, do you yeah, have you know what? Sure, just might as well read them. So uh, Jacob, this is after... Um, he has wrestled with God. In 32 verse 30, he says, so Jacob called the place Peniel saying, it is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. Right. So the idea being that if you see God's face, yes, you die. You die. And then John 1 18, she says, um, it says this, no one has ever seen God. But the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Okay. So I think right away the the answer is within Genesis 32, verse 30, where it says, I saw the God uh, face to face, yet my life was spared. Right. In other words, God willfully withhold 
killing him. But that's that's one aspect of this, right? Because um, what here, what John's talking about is the full glory of God, and then what Jacob is talking about is wrestling a guy who is God, the angel of the Lord. Yeah. And I think right there you have your division. You have Christ pre-incarnate, and then you have God the Father in His full glory, and Christ. Uh, not seeing God and dying is something that's prevalent throughout the whole text. In fact, when the angel of the Lord appears, sometimes you have, I think with the Samson's parents who are like, why, why aren't I dead yet? Yes. Yeah. So it's like people are like, it's just a very common yeah, thing. Yeah, his you, father was like, we're going to die. <laughs> and then his mom was die. like, if yeah. we were going to die, he wouldn't have given us that's this That's right. Prophecy. And she just like practically corrects him. He's just like, what? You're a loophole. Anyways, so... <laughs> The, the the point here is that that was – it's not just a John versus – it's just throughout the whole thing. And what's important there is to realize this kind of the structure that's happening throughout the text. So I've gotten some verses here to kind of sure. kind of grasp this. Okay, so Exodus 33, verse 9, the Lord would speak to God face to face. Okay? so the, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face. Sorry. Yeah, the Lord to God. Well, of course <laughs> the Lord to God, yeah. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one who speaks to a friend. Right. Okay? So you ask yourself, okay, well, how is that possible? Everyone thinks you're going to see the face and die. Well, then it goes on. Um, then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. Think about what he did with Jacob. Mm-hmm. I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Mm-hmm. So there we go. We have it right there in Exodus. Then the, then the Lord said, there is a place near me, where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back and my face, but my face you must not be, must not be seen. That's 18 to verses 23. So my point here is that putting his hand on him, it's like you can't see my face, all these things, but he speaks to him face to face as does a friend. What's going on here? So this is very similar to the burning bush incident where the angel of the Lord was God in the bush. Right. So you have these two things. But once again, with Joshua, he bows down to the angel of the Lord and worships him, right? You have these things with the angel of the Lord, who is in human form, and you also have the full glory. So you can't see the full glory of God, but you can see the angel of the Lord, which happens quite often. So I think that's the that's basically the skinny of, of, of it right there. Um, but... Go ahead. Yeah. yeah, and throughout the Old Testament, there, like like you've been mentioning, there are people who have seen parts of the presence of God and parts of the glory right. of God, right? Like we see here, Jacob sees this this man, this incarnation, uh, like face to face, but in the dark. Right. And Moses in the cleft of the rock and the elders of Israel, uh, when Moses invites them, so this is also in Exodus, Moses invites them up the mountain and they're like, oh, we've seen the presence, we've seen the glory of God, we've seen... But we haven't died, and it's because it's only part. That's right. right? God's having mercy, and he's showing God has mercy or compassion. He's withholding in some sense, right? But he's not showing his full glory. So in John specifically, we're dealing with John's thing. So will we ever see the God in in his glorified state? Right. And I think the answer is yes. It appears to be yes. So let's read two things from Revelation and from Job. So first Job, uh, chapter 19, verses 26 and 27. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I, and not another. My own heart yearns within me. And then in Revelation 22, verses 3 to 4, his servants will worship him. His servants, us, that's being us. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. So in other words, this is implying, of course, we can see the the angel of the Lord. We will see his face. This is God Almighty, Mm -hmm. right? So uh, long story short, 
people see the, the angel of the Lord, that's no issue. And that's sort of what you see happening throughout the text. But the glory of God will be revealed and those who are his sons adopted in sonship will see God come the day of new creation. Yeah, and it's that and it, it is that idea of that's the fulfillment of the redemption story. So the the whole concept of not being able to see the face of God uh, appears to be because we are no longer in right relationship with God. So we see Adam and Eve uh, and they, it doesn't say they saw him face to face, but it implies it where, right. you know, Adam hears the sound of God walking in the garden and he hides himself from God because he doesn't want to be seen right. by God um, at that point. But he's already fallen. He's already vulnerable. He's lost his protection. He's lost his place. So then we, then the rest of humanity, we're living in this displaced relationship with God now where we don't have um, the, we, we're, we're not, perfect beings anymore. We have sin. We are, we've fallen out of step with God, out of relationship with God, which is why in Revelation, it comes back to this Eden-like state right. where now we're living in the new heavens and the new earth, where there's trees of life that flank the river, you know, that we can eat from whenever we want. And God is there and he is our light source uh, and we can see him face to face. So it's this whole, it, that's the end of redemption story. So right. in the middle of the redemption story, between the fall of Adam and Eve from grace and the return of the sons of God to grace in Revelation, uh, we're in this time where we can't fully see the presence of God, which is what John would be talking about. That's exactly like the right. The full presence. No one has fully seen God that's except right. for right. Christ Jesus. And then what is it that Christ says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? And, that's, right. and that principle story kind of rings true. So anyways, but yeah, in general, I think that kind of answers the, the overall case. Yeah, I hope right. that helps, Paula. Right. I, I hope that helps. I think so. Yeah? Yeah, I think so. Okay, so back to our overarching question. I yes. mean, there are so many questions that we can ask of the text, um, especially especially because there's so many um, stories. There's so many narratives and, and, and accounts in the text. Um, how are we to make sense of some of these? And, um, you know, part of my belief about this is that through understanding uh, the, the patriarchal society, the, the culture of the day, that it can really inform us on what's actually going on in the right. text. And I think one text that I know people have a lot of uh, struggle with is Genesis chapter 34. And it is a rough chapter. Mm. It is rough. Um, uh, Dinah gets assaulted by Prince Shechem, uh, who's named the same name as the city, Shechem, or Shechem, however you want to say it. Um, but I think, you know, the timing of this is interesting. Everything in the scripture is chosen. It's not just everything that ever happened to Jacob's family is in here in Genesis. That's not what it is. These are chosen specifically. So what I think is really interesting about Genesis 34 is that it happens very close in time to Jacob's wrestling with God. So God says, God says to him at the end, you will be known as Israel someone who God struggles for, right? I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. That covenant relationship with Abraham is now Jacob's. It's now Israel. But this gets put to the test right away because in Genesis chapter 34, we have this incident with Dinah, this horrible incident, where now what is Jacob going to do? Because he's insulted right away. As the patriarch of the family, this is his job to protect those under his care. And now uh, someone has gone out of order instead of Shechem coming to Jacob 
and asking to marry Dinah, he has violated her. So what's Jacob going to do? And we see Jacob trying to make a treaty, a, a, a family treaty with Shechem. Uh, but of course, Dinah's brothers, two of them, Simeon and Levi, aren't having it. And they go behind Jacob's back and they go on this murderous rampage where they murder the men of Shechem. Uh, and later on in Genesis 49, Jacob curses them for this. Um, and, and they kind of lose their place, uh, their, their prominent place as his sons. Uh, but uh, when Simeon and Levi murder the men of Shechem, they have put Jacob's family in a very precarious situation. Mm. Because now, what about all of the people surrounding the city of Shechem that had agreements with Shechem, that were allies with Shechem? Now... Jacob's family might be the target of vengeance, mm. of blood vengeance. Um, and Simeon and Levi, not only are they guilty of this murderous rampage, but they're guilty of coming out from under the authority of Jacob as the patriarch. Mm. So it's just this horrible mess. But what's really interesting is that chapter 34 is very clear to say that God put a fear of Jacob and his family in the hearts of the other people groups so that they didn't attack him. Mm. So what I'm saying is we under, we can understand the story more fully through understanding the way that society, their society worked, but then also understanding where it's placed in the scripture. Yes. Because God has just changed Jacob's name to Israel. I will, I will fight for you. I will struggle for you. And then we see this very terrible situation that should, for all intents and purposes, have brought retribution and bloodshed down on Jacob and his family. Mm. But instead, God put instilled fear in people's hearts mm. uh, so that they didn't attack right. Jacob and his family. And so how does this also work with Genesis 38? Oh, my goodness. Okay, yes. Because that's to do with Judah, right, and his wife. Yes. A lot of people, a lot of people, uh, me included, when I first read Genesis, uh, this kind of eluded me for a while because we are talking about Joseph in Genesis 37. We're talking about, you know, the, the younger son that Jacob decides to favor over the firstborn, which was a big cultural no-no. And it's why the brothers were so annoyed at Joseph in the first place. And then Joseph starts telling him all these dreams, right? Like, you're all going to bow down to me one day. <laughs> yeah. Not a good Ooh. way to it. Yeah. Not good. <laughs> but, um, and so they sell him into slavery. And we're in the middle of talking about Joseph. And um, then Genesis 38, we jump back from Joseph into a random story about Judah mm. and Tamar. Uh, and, you know, overall, Judah comes back into the story of Joseph in some pretty incredible ways. Uh, so the Bible wants to establish Judah's character here. But a lot of people, uh, are, me included, were are originally confused when Judah calls Tamar more righteous than him. Right. So we have this history of uh, Judah marrying a Canaanite woman, having three sons. Um, he marries his first son to a Canaanite woman named Tamar, but we're told in the text that this son is so evil that God puts him to death. And so Judah does what he should do. He marries Tamar to his next son uh, in order to have that union is so that Tamar will have a son that will carry on his older son's right. name. That's just how it worked. Um, but he's also evil, so God kills him too. Right. And then Judah only has one son. 
and he blames Tamar for that. Right. Um, and uh, so Tamar comes up with a ruse later on, much later on, after Judah's wife dies. She veils herself like a prostitute when Judah comes to town to see if he'll hire her, and he does. Yeah. And she gets pregnant, and Judah finds out that she's pregnant and has absolutely no problem ordering her execution because he's still her authority. Mm. Um, and when she reveals that it was him because she had taken his signet seal, his cord, and his staff from him uh, as payment, she shows it to him. And that's when it comes out, you are more righteous right. than I. So basically what the scripture has done for us here is it's shown us a Judah who is not a good person, who is not fulfilling his cultural duties, his societal duties, because Tamar was his responsibility. Mm. Not only were his sons his responsibility, and they were evil, yes. but Tamar was his responsibility. Without a husband, without a male relative overseeing her, she was destined to be destitute. Mm. So he sent her back to her father's house, but she's just waiting. And eventually she's going to become destitute. Uh, and the names of his sons are going to just die out. Yeah. So Judah, this uh, Tamar, this Canaanite woman, comes up with this ruse that is pretty brutal. And she saves Judah uh, from the guilt of not being a good patriarch, mm. of not being a good provider, protector. And he recognizes that. And this is this moment of transition. Genesis is full of moments, moments of transition for the men yes. and women that we see in it. So she forces Judah into this moment of transition where he realizes he, he's humiliated because everyone finds out that he had given a prostitute his very emblems of authority yeah, it's like, to pay for her services, which yeah. would have been very humiliating. But then also a widow, the most vulnerable member of society, a rejected widow, was saving him who had all the power and all the authority and right. all the resources from the sin of leaving her destitute. Right. So he has this, you want to believe it's a character changing moment, but you don't find out until later in the story. It, it, is, a, it yes, is a character changing big, moment. Yeah, for sure. he, he admits that she's more righteous than, than he is. Yeah. Even though she's come up with this strange ruse. But then later on, we see Judah being a leader in the family of Jacob. Right. He leads the brothers to Egypt. He is willing to trade his own life to save Benjamin's life, who was a favorite son of Jacob's as well. And um, Jacob puts him in charge of bringing the whole family to Egypt. So it's really interesting because, and this is why, you know, we've been talking about the Bible doesn't just throw stories in there for no reason. We need to ask, why is this here? Yeah. What does this mean? What does this add to the story? Because if, if chapter 38 was left out of the scriptures, we would just think that Judah was a natural leader in his family. Yeah. That he was good. <laughs> good guy. He was not. No. He was not a good guy. You know, Jacob's sons. Reuben. Oh my word, well, because this Reuben. Because this relates to Reuben as well. It I'm totally sure. relates to. Okay, so in the end, I think it's of chapter thirty-five. Right. I'm just double checking myself. Yeah. Okay. In 
uh, Genesis chapter 34, we're told that um, after Rachel dies, uh, the, the wife of Jacob, she dies. Reuben sleeps with Bilhah. And Bilhah was Rachel's maidservant who Jacob and Rachel had used as a surrogate mother to Jacob's children. So he sleeps with his father's concubine at this point. And there's no explanation. Yeah. So in order to understand that, we have to understand that they are living in this society where Reuben is the firstborn son of Jacob with Leah. He should have been the favored son who would receive a double portion. He was not. Jacob had chosen Joseph, one of Rachel's children. This, what this looks like, Reuben sleeping with Bilhah, is Reuben trying to position himself as the next patriarch mm. of the family. Right. And what's really interesting is he would have had authority as the firstborn over Leah's sons and over Leah's maidservants and Jacob's sons because they had used her maidservant as a surrogate as well. And by taking Bilhah as his wife, Reuben would have said, I also have authority over the biological sons of Bilhah and Jacob. And the only people he wouldn't have authority over were Joseph and Benjamin, mm. which were the favorite sons of Jacob. Right. So he may have been trying to establish him as the patriarch of Jacob's family, minus Joseph and Benjamin, because right. who cares about them anyway? Right. Ooh, <laughs> this is rough. Like the the history of Jacob's sons are just yeah, it's it's, terrible. it's really rough, and right. and so it's interesting to see then how God is able to redeem this and how He's still able to use these men to found tribes that God would work through. They That's become right. the twelve tribes of Israel. So yeah, no, it's Yikes. huge. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But it is interesting to see uh, their character flaws and how God takes them and uses yes. these. He, he is able to overturn these flaws and, and yeah. bring about character change, That's changes right. in many of them. And they, they're essential to even Joseph's story, right? So Absolutely. Right, because with, with Judah changing, that changes the, the, you know, then you see his heart towards Benjamin later on. Mm -hmm. He's been softened and stuff like that. So like, these aren't just like, you know, in there just for the sake of being in there. They all, when you look at it like it's being selectively curated to tell you a, a, a story of redemption, essentially. Yes. Um, that's what you have to look at. You have to look at it like a narrative. And mm -hmm. that helps open up some more ideas. Definitely. Right. And a lot more of... More understanding, I should say. And so there's also a record, and this is outside of our reading today, I believe. Oh, wait, is it? Yeah, it is. It's just outside of our reading today. So it'll be in our reading next week. But... Right before uh, Jacob dies in Egypt, he blesses each one of his sons and he kind of cites some of the things that have happened. And so some of these, uh, some of the reasons why he gives blessings are are recorded here in Genesis. Right. Right? Like Simeon and Levi in uh, the whole Shechem incident or, you know, Reuben and Bilhah. Uh, and then he blesses Judah for Judah's involvement. You know, he, he becomes a new leader. Right. Uh, in, in the family. That's right. Even though Judah had previously left 
the family. I mean, we read in um, Genesis 38 that Judah actually leaves his brothers and goes out on his own. And this is when the Tamar incident happens. Right. So he leaves his father's household to become his own household. But during the famine comes back anyway. Right. Very interesting. Very good. Very <laughs> uh, good. Do we have any more questions this week? No, I think that's it for today. Perfect. Okay. So again, when we're looking at our big overarching question for today was how do we make sense of any of this? Uh, how do we make sense uh, of, of all of the different episodes that are going on in Genesis, specifically in 26 to 47? I think we've conclusively answered that we have to pay really close attention to the details in the scripture. And we do need to know a little bit about the culture of the time. It, just using the example of it was a patriarchal society, uh, that really blows open the doors. It really unpacks for us a lot of the the stories that are going on here in Genesis. Uh, so for now, that'll be it. If you guys have any questions or comments, please, you know, if you're watching on YouTube, pop those questions and comments down below. Uh, if, uh, if you're watching somewhere else where there isn't a comment section, then uh, you can email us as well and you can find our emails on BibleDiscoveryTV.com. So see you next week. Thank you so much for watching. We want to keep producing high quality biblical content, but we can't do it without your support. If you feel called to support us, please click the link in the description under donate. Your support really means a lot to us.